Hi, I'm Tiffany. And I'm Lindsay. And this is Luminol, Luminol Cocktail. Cocktail. What's new with you besides your surgery coming up tomorrow? Not surgery. I'm sorry. Procedure. Aside from your procedure tomorrow. <laughs> My simple dentist appointment. Yeah, you're just real quick, couple extractions um, done. Um, well, I want to go to an escape room on Saturday. Okay. You're making a face like, fuck this bitch, she's not going to be prepared to go to an escape room. I mean, so, I'm a very dramatic person. Really? Didn't know if you knew that or not. When I had my wisdom teeth out, mm-hmm. you better believe my ass was on the couch watching TV for every single day I was off work. That's fair. Because I'm like, I'm not doing anything. Someone's going to bring me ice cream. Someone's going to bring me mashed potatoes. The yes. end. So Thursday, not going to do much. Gonna hang out, gonna edit, mm-hmm. and play Animal Crossing. Mm-hmm. Friday, probably similar. And then Saturday, I'm gonna be ready to do things again, because I only okay. have so many days off from work. True. So, True. That's fair. You know. Um, do you have to work Monday? No, I don't go back till Wednesday. Nice. That's really awesome. Yeah. That's great scheduling. Yeah. So I have, uh, like, five days. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a good But I'm gonna be fine. It'll be fine. By, like, Friday afternoon. Of course. Won't be able to eat anything. Right. Yeah, so I got I got all my good stuff. I got ramen for when I'm feeling like I can have some kind of normal food mm-hmm. that's solid, but that's still pretty soft. And, like, just tomato soup. Nice. So that's going to be my diet, plus ice cream that I already have. Love so, it. Yeah. But, yes, I want to do an escape room on Saturday. I want to go to, like, Beaufort and do one we haven't done before. Oh. I also told Alex that I wanted to go somewhere and go hiking. So... Busy day Saturday. Yeah, you know, that's not in the direction of Beaufort, though. <laughs> no. No, it's super not. The doc- the dentist, so I called them up because I was, like, really nervous. And I was mm-hmm. like, hey, I've got a couple questions real fast. And um, I asked if I would be put under sh- or sedated. And that's right. when she told me no. But I could have, like, nitrous gas or whatever if I was feeling anxious. Yeah. Everyone tells me to do it. It's an extra $95. Yeah. So she told me that's what it would be. And I was like, well, it's going on a credit card. So what does it Do it. Um, she goes, have you ever bid on that? And I said, no. It's laughing gas. She goes, I have bid on it. And she goes, it's like drinking a full bottle of wine. I was like, oh, I know what that feels like (laughs) thank you i can understand that (laughs) and so i'm probably gonna do that but she said um i could drive home after having that though the only way i couldn't drive home was if i if they prescribed me a valium and i took it that's the only way i wouldn't be able to drive home unsafe so i don't know and maybe they're gonna keep me there a little bit longer to let it wear off if i were to drive myself i mean i'm not alex is gonna be there but she said that and then i asked if i would get any pain medication or any other medication and she said and she said that while i was in there they would either write me a prescription for pain meds and an antibiotic if i had an infection or any reason to need one yeah but then she looked at my file she's like but i don't see one so you probably won't have that but that they would probably give me a prescription for pain meds if i wanted yeah, you do want. So, <laughs> I figured when I get in there tomorrow, I'll just real quick double check that because they don't right. they don't have my pharmacy, not my right one. Yeah, and you want to go ahead and confirm that beforehand. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> that way, there's no confusion or no, ma'am, you don't actually like. I'm not getting it done. Right, just in case. What are your plans? I was looking for plans to have. Well, great. You can also come. Oh, okay, Serial Killer Week. You can come over here and watch Serial That's Killer true. Week with me. I have cable. That's true. That's Me and Alex true. have been following the case of Samuel Little the Love last it. couple nights. Well, I'm also going to play it out because we did get Velma spayed today. Oh, yeah. Can she and be so, around other dogs? 
technically yes, but she shouldn't roughhouse for like no, 10 to 14 days. That's fair. So basically we're going back to the same routine that we used to have mm. with her like when she goes outside, she goes on a leash. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, it's tough. She's come so far. <laughs> she has come so far. Now you're punishing her almost. She got to the stairs and just kind of looked at me like, I'm not doing those, which I go- I didn't want her to go up and down the stairs yeah. anyways. So I'm glad she stopped and didn't try to like barrel through them. Mm-hmm. But we got to take her home a little sooner than they normally would mm-hmm. discharge patients too because they're like, you're an anesthesia technician, so you probably know what to do. And then you're like, and I'm leaving now. I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> bye, Ian. <laughs> I will take my dog. I carried her home in my lap. <laughs> As soon as she was awake enough to go and, like, yeah, I was like, she needs this injection, and I want her to have this injection, too. And they're like, well, are you sure? And I was like, no, this is what I want. Well, it'll probably do it. And they're like, cool. Chill weekend, if nothing. If, I, yeah. if I'm if i super down for the count. Yeah. yeah. And I'll come over and make mashed potatoes for you from okay. scratch. <laughs> I do have a lot of potatoes, because I was also thinking by Sunday I could have probably the baked potato. Yeah, like a baked Not potato skin, and, like, but... squish it up. Ooh, and applesauce. I'm pretty set. I was like, good. I was browsing online and I did, I did research and then panicked myself by doing <laughs> research. I don't know why I did that. So I that got, was silly. This week I got the ingredients to make Japanese clear onion soup. Dude, I made that before. I'm so excited. It's so good. I don't know what recipe you have, but I made it from recipe and it was really good. I am so excited. Like that is my favorite thing. So I'm pretty sure that's what I'm going to live off of this weekend, which actually isn't a complete diet. So coming over for some mashed potatoes probably wouldn't be the worst thing for me. Yeah, but that can't be too high in calories, is it? It's just broth. No, I, what I mean is it's not enough nutrients. Oh, okay, yeah. Like, I was going to say, like, that can't be that no, many. No, it's, it's not bad for you, but boy, there's not a lot there for your body to run off of. Mm. I apologize if I call you while you're at work yes, and leave you a voicemail. Do. I don't know how I will be feeling or if they will let me leave immediately after being on the uh, laughing gas or not because I have a driver. I told yeah. Alex not to record anything oh he's super going to <laughs> i told my brother not to record he said he was gonna put it on the website that's rude okay that's rude like having a private recording for i don't want that because it's not private because i know everyone that we're friends with them and my family will see it true. so i don't i don't want that but oh i got the card game to do this weekend too mm. maybe i'll do that thursday when i'm high on pain meds oh my god i see no way that could end poorly <laughs> so just... Lindsay found this card game and basically what you do is just ask these super direct, blunt questions, and it's we like... We should ask a couple of the couple ones for the oh next God. episode we yeah. do. <laughs> and so, like, it's for, like, couples or for friends or for Even whatever. Even for strangers. All right. And it's basically, like, why do you love me? It's intimate questions. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> Both Tiffany and Ian were not a fan of it. Alex wasn't super pumped, but me loving communication and psychology and closeness and all of that that I can only get from communication sounded amazing. Here's the thing. (laughs) I love communication. Like, Ian and I talk about everything. You probably don't want to ask the bad questions, though. But, like... In case you get a bad answer. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter. I know my brain. It doesn't matter what the question or the answer is. Like, I'll find a way to twist it in my brain into something negative. And oh, I know that, that game's I will. not for you then. Exactly. Because <laughs> it should be taken as literal as possible. I will not. Like, that's how I'll take it in okay, the I moment. I won't buy the friend one for us yeah. just in case. I, I will take it in the moment, but then I'll turn it over in my head. Like, we just had, like, a personal situation that happened this week. And I was like, whatever. And then, like, <laughs> as time went on, I was like, I'm really annoyed, honestly. 
That's fair. Like, it's just annoying to me. Like, it's nothing that I'm really upset about. Mm-hmm. But, like, the more I thought about it, the more annoyed I made it. And finally, like, it made me. And so finally, I was just like, I just need to deal with this and move on with my life because I'm tired of being annoyed. That's fun. I thought of a fun idea right yeah. now as you were talking about how you don't like those kinds of things. Friendsgiving with the friends cards. Oh, and my God. everybody's here. Oh, no. <laughs> people we used to live with or some people still live with. Oh, no. That could be fun. Just open communication flowing on a day all about giving and friendship. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing for Thanksgiving this year. I don't know what. You're going to go to your family's house probably, and then you're going to leave by noon, and then you're going to drink Well, and in then, your bedroom somewhere. And then I potentially am going to Ian's family's thing, too. Do they have? I didn't know they had one. Yeah, I went last year. You did. Yeah, I did. But you guys were back super early still, weren't you? So again, so you'll be back somewhere. So, so we'll eat, I'll just, I'll eat two lunches. Perfect. And, and then you'll then come here. I'll come here and drunk. be ready to roll by like 8.30 for dinner number three. Oh, because last year, no, that was the year before and I went, we did the foot spa. Yes, yeah. it was the year before that because like I came back. Yeah. And you I just think went, like your family was Yeah, still we were here. still having dinner. And I was like up gonna go upstairs and drink by myself yeah Goodbye, you took that whole friend. bottle of wine and i don't just, think you had a glass you know i did not <laughs> so, i was like that's tiffany holidays are tough she that's exactly what i said actually <laughs> all right so do you want to introduce this week's topic or do you want me to based on some lovely feedback we received we, we were told feedback. we do love feedback there's a feedback thing on the website at luminolcocktail.com also like to. real quick Please rate and review us anywhere you can, really. But definitely on iTunes. But also, like, especially iTunes, because I'm going to be super honest. We've gotten some ones that made me real sad. So She was very sad. I was worried you wouldn't want to do this anymore. Oh, Because, see, I did YouTube for a little bit, so I've had right. negative comments and people not like my stuff. So I was like, okay, whatever. So it's fine if people don't like it. I just wasn't happy with the ratio, because I'm like, okay, people listen. Like, I've based on what we're seeing on we like the analytics harder. and stuff and so i'm like people have been listening i was like but only three people have reviewed us i'm so sad and well two you, of those people weren't great so if you can change that we can be reviewed on itunes and on facebook yep mm-hmm. it'd be super legit if you wanted to review us i will also if i i probably can't i will link the website and facebook on the show notes from now on so it's Ooh. just one click away and i know it because i see it highlighted mm-hmm. <laughs> so it definitely works um and you can leave feedback on the uh, website in case you don't want to review us yeah. maybe you just want you just want us to change something yeah or we only yeah. have like what i mean full episodes we this will be our 13th? 14th? I was going to say 13th or 14th. So there's not that many to base off of. Right. We're getting better. We are learning. I feel like I feel like we've improved. Yes. Whenever I listen, because I used to not listen, and now I listen so that I can like give myself notes and try and improve and be better. And I feel like we've been better. Yes. Uh, I do. Oh, yes. So based on the... I forgot where I was Sorry. going initially. No, that's okay. So we got some feedback that we should start explaining what the week's topic is. This week, I picked botched investigations. Those words are hard to say together. I feel that. Whew. Okay. Uh, so, Tiffany is going to go first tonight, and she's covering the case... The Jeff Davis 8. Okay. Which I didn't know anything about. 
I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No. Uh, the only reason I found out was because I was like, I don't know what a good one to pick for this is. And I just went down a Reddit rabbit hole. Same. That's what I did with this one as well for mine. Nice. Um, I did I did browse briefly your like little blog post thing. So I have a vibe for what you're covering. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, so I had a sneak peek. Nice. Mm-hmm. Blog post will be posted whenever we post this episode. Blog posts get posted at noon on Friday. Nice episodes i schedule them episodes should be uploaded on fridays by 9 a.m so on your way to work or wherever you can listen last two fridays i've been slack this friday i won't be because i have no reason to be (laughs) she'll be home (laughs) Uh, yeah i'll be at home so a lot of my info i have the links for it in that blog post but a lot of my info came from ethan brown's article on medium as well as a new york times article by campbell robertson and a biography article by tim ott Wow, I like the the inclusion there of your yeah. sources. Trying to be better, you know? Yeah, I give, like that. Give people some I tried credit. that originally with the blog post and then dropped it. I need to go yeah. back to it. Yeah, I just figured it'd be easier if I go ahead and, like, link my articles in the blog post before I send it to you so you don't have to do, like, running around or anything. We'll just go ahead and get in. On May 20th, 2005, the body of 28-year-old Loretta Lynn Lewis was retrieved from the Grand Marais Canal. Her body had started the decomposition process but she had no obvious visible wounds aside from an area of bleeding in her scalp. She was a known sex worker in the Jefferson Davis Parish in Louisiana. Loretta would be the first of eight women that were discovered dead who would later become known as the Jeff Davis Eight. The other seven women are Ernestine Marie Daniels Patterson, who was 30, Kristen Gary Lopez, who was 21, Whitney Dubois, who was 26, Laconia, a.k.a. Muggy Brown, who was 23. Crystal Shea Zeno, who was 24. Brittany Gary, who was 17. And Nicole Guillory, who was 26. Ernestine Patterson and Laconia Brown had both had their throats slit, but all of the other victims were too advanced in their state of decomposition to actually determine the cause of death. The most common cause of death theory is asphyxiation, though. Jefferson Davis Parish Sheriff Ricky Edwards announced from the outset of the investigation, once they were finally forced to seriously examine these deaths, that they believed that they were looking for a serial killer who was operating in the area, targeting sex workers. So Jennings, the town that is the parish sheet, which I didn't know what that was, it's the area, the town that the government is centered in for a parish, which is kind of like a district. Jennings is the parish sheet for Jefferson Davis Parish. It is known as a super rough town. It was called a crack town in a couple different articles that I saw. So drugs are a huge problem. Interstate 10 runs right by it, which starts in Jacksonville, Florida and ends in Santa Monica, California, and is known to be a common route that drug traffickers take. Honestly, like, I Googled it, and I found tons of articles. Oh, that's exciting. About, like, various drug busts on different parts. Mm -hmm. Jennings is apparently known as a stop-off for drug runners, and there's a community of addicts whose lives have had their course shifted because of their addiction. The south side of town is a place where you could go to buy drugs, and if you saw a woman walking the roads alone, it was known that there was a very good chance that she was a sex worker The town is super aware of its status, and some people have learned how to work the system. They've learned that you have to get the right people on your side in order to get what they need. One of these people was Frankie Richard, 
He's an ex-oral rig worker turned strip club owner who knew the murdered woman. He had more of a relationship with seven of the eight, but he did know all of them. He was interviewed by Ethan Brown for his article and revealed he knew quite a lot about the woman and the investigation as a whole. He also knew a lot about the history of the town, including the history of corruption in the police department that started as early as the 70s with police officers allegedly participating in drug trafficking. Now, when Brown took a closer look at the history of the police department, he found some really unfortunate things out. In 1992, men broke into the police department and stole 300 pounds of marijuana, which is like six Zeds. Yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot. During the investigation of the two men after their arrest, they admitted that they had accomplices who helped inform them and direct them on carrying out the crime. Those men were Frankie Richard and a man named Ted Gary, who just so happened to be the chief deputy sheriff at the time. No charges for the crime were ever brought against those two men for their connection. In 1993, so just three years later, a man named Dallas Cormier was a sheriff. He pleaded guilty or pled guilty to charges of obstruction of justice. The full charges against him included a range of things from improper dealings with inmates to using public funds for personal items like guns and trucks. My note is like, include the upside down smiley face emoji because that was my first reaction. Mm. Like, you know, the one where it's like, hmm, imagine that. How cute. Guns and trucks paid for by government funds. Love it. In 1997, Dateline actually ran an episode on the Jeff Davis Parish and some of the corruption that went on there. It focused heavily on illegal traffic stops. I guess they have a history of just pulling people over without probable cause and there have actually been lawsuits over it. But it really ended up being a huge expose on the fact that the place is just kind of fucked up and corrupt as a whole. In 2000, an officer of the Jennings Police Department went rogue and murdered a man and his wife. And then initiated a standoff with the responding officers, which ended in him killing one of the officers and wounding another. In 2003, eight female officers filed a civil rights lawsuit in federal court against the Jennings police chief, Donald Lucky DeLouche, as well as a bunch of male cops and the city of Jennings for sexual violence and harassment. Within their complaints was one against a captain who threatened a subordinate and coerced her into oral sex, and a lieutenant who threatened one of the women with a knife. As recently as 2013, the Jennings police chief was charged Louisiana State Police following an audit for malfeasance, I think is how you pronounce that, in office. Basically, he stole $4,500 in cash, 1,800 pills, more than 380 grams of cocaine, and several pounds of weed from evidence. Basically, the Jeff Davis Paris and the city of Jennings has a long history of police corruption. And while the town is aware of it, they're also aware they have to do what they have to do in order to survive. Which is why the families of these women, when they started coming forward with information that several of the women had been informants for the police, everyone started to get much more suspicious of the department that was supposed to be investigating these deaths. By 2008, a task force had been established and the body count was at seven. The task force was warned by several sex workers that Nicole Brown would likely be the next victim. She had a history with law enforcement and was one of the women who was reportedly an informant for the police. 
Officials won't comment about whether or not any of those women were actually informants, but our old buddy Frankie Richard is very open about the fact that Nicole, quote, knew a lot about a whole lot. Mm. So it's alleged that all of these women were police informants. And none of them protected. The officer who's in charge of being the liaison Mm -hmm. denies that there were ever any female informants. Okay. Yeah. Sure. That being said, she did have a history with the police, like some run-ins. In her case history, there are at least six cases that are listed as null prosequi, which is lawyer speak for the district attorney had no interest in prosecuting her for those crimes. It lends itself as another indicator that Nicole was likely an informant, likely as part of a deal for getting out of those charges. Otherwise, why would they not prosecute her for Mm -hmm. these things that they have ample evidence for? People close to Nicole reported she was talking about how she knew she was going to die soon when it came near the time for her murder. Her 27th birthday was coming up, and her mom was trying to talk to her about, like, making a cake and buying frosting, and Nicole basically told her it wasn't worth discussing because she was probably going to get killed before then. A witness on the task force said that Nicole admitted to knowing who killed all the other girls, but that she couldn't say who. She didn't want to share the information she had because she said it would put people she cared about at risk. It was dangerous information, and she knew it was going to be the end of her, but she didn't want it to cause a disruption in the lives of the people that she cared about. Mm -hmm. Which, honestly, to me, I'm like, that must be the worst. Like, just knowing, like, you don't know when, but you know it's coming. Like, that's terrible. The fifth woman, Laconia Brown, who went by the nickname Muggy, like I said, also had information from the police about the murders. Her sister, Gail, gave a statement that Muggy told her that a police officer tried to give her $500 for information that she had about a murder that had potentially been committed by another police officer. And Muggy told her sister that there were three police officers that were going to kill her. Hmm. Yeah, it's a thing. Now, interestingly enough, Records indicate that Muggy had been questioned by police in regards to the murder of Ernestine Patterson, who was a second victim. One of her cousins, Lawrence Nixon, and his friend, Byron Chad Jones, were actually arrested and charged with second-degree murder in the Ernestine Patterson case. Allegedly, they had a part in some shady dealings, and supposedly there were witnesses that implicated them in the murder of Ernestine. But the thing is, the witnesses that implicated him in the crime also told them about a crime scene where all of this was supposed to have occurred. The scene was not touched. It wasn't processed for more than 15 months after the allegations were made. They just, they were like, oh, cool, we're going to arrest you and charge you, but we're actually not going to process this area that may potentially have evidence. And by the time they actually investigated it, there was no evidence of blood at the scene and nothing else to legitimately tie them to the case aside from that one witness. So they couldn't hold them anymore once they realized they didn't have any actual physical evidence for it. So their charges got dropped. In 2007, Sergeant Jesse Ewing got another lead in the form of two inmates saying that they had information about the case. He independently went and interviewed the women and decided that what they said was too important to be turned into departmental evidence. 
He was worried that the tapes would go missing the same way all the other shit in their evidence goes missing. Mm -hmm. So he turned the tapes over to the FBI. But unfortunately, after he turned them over to the FBI, the FBI rerouted them to the task force that had been started to cover these murders. Ewing was later fired and charged with malfeasance, I don't know, I'm thinking that's the right way, to pronounce it, and sexual misconduct for allegedly sexually assaulting one of the inmates who gave information. The sexual misconduct charge was dropped, but he still got fired for taking their testimony, essentially. Mm -hmm. On the tapes, first they talk about the death of Whitney Dubois. Allegedly, Whitney had been hanging out with good old Frankie Richard, again, there goes that name, as well as his niece Hannah Connor and another sex worker. When Whitney refused Frankie's advances, he got pissed, which supposedly led to a fight that ended in Whitney being drowned by Frankie and Hannah. The other death they talk about on the tapes is the death of Kristen Lopez. Kristen was categorized as the most at risk of all the victims because she was intellectually disabled. Mm. She, interestingly enough, had had a more personal relationship with Frankie Richard because she had known him basically her whole life. And witnesses report she was often seen in the area around Frankie's house just wandering around in her Tweety Bird pajamas and flip-flops. Frankie Richard admits to spending a lot of time with Kristen, especially near the end of her life near the last two weeks. She had actually been living with him along with another sex worker. He threw them both out for supposedly stealing from them and shortly afterwards she was killed. The story given for Kristen's death is similar to that of Whitney. Frankie basically got pissed and he and Hannah Connor drowned her. Supposedly Hannah had even confessed to one of them one night while she was high. There was another story they told about Kristen's death specifically, too, and a conspiracy involving police to destroy evidence in the case. According to their statements, Frankie Richard put Kristen's body in a barrel and then used a truck to transport it to the body of water where they dropped her. The truck he used was almost immediately purchased by an offer named Mr. Warren, who was in charge of making sure nobody looked at that truck in relation to this case. Mr. Warren turned out to be the sheriff's office chief criminal investigator, Warren Gary. They gave in-depth information about the scenario, saying that Warren Gary and Frankie Richard were close friends, and that Warren Gary bought the truck, then took it to a place named Ray's to wash it and make sure it was thoroughly cleaned. Incidentally, Ray's is right across the street from the offices where the task force was doing their work to investigate these cases. Public records corroborate that story, too the truck that Frankie used was actually owned by someone who worked for him, who was at the time an inmate, Connie Seiler. On March 29, 2007, Warren Gary bought a truck for about $8,000 from Connie Seiler. On April 20th, so less than a month later, he sold the truck for $15,500. Yeah. He gave part of the profit back to Connie to pay the fees she owed for the bad checks she'd written, which is why she was in jail. In case you didn't know... Super unethical for a police officer to purchase things from an inmate. I did not know that. It is a not a good thing. That makes sense, though. It super does. Also, to buy something, flip it, and then give the inmate back when you're a yeah. lead investigator. Super not okay. Warren Gary was fined $10,000 by Ooh. the Louisiana Board of Ethics. But officially, the party line is that Warren Gary had nothing to do with the crime. He had no idea that the truck could have been part of evidence. 
But that claim has been argued by other investigators who are working the case who have spoken out independently, saying they knew Connie Seiler's truck was likely to be involved in the crimes, according to people who work directly on the task force. So you have one side that's saying, no, we knew that that was probably part of it. And then the other part, no, he didn't know, so he's fine. He can keep doing his job and have his life as long as he pays us this $10,000. Which, I don't know about you, but I'm like... Even if it has nothing to do with it, why are we looking the other way? Why are we pretending like this is totally normal and fine? Also, why didn't they process that other crime scene for 15 fucking months? It's a whole thing. After all this, like I said before, Officer Ewing, who brought in this lead, was fired. Warren Gary, the man in question, the officer in question, he was promoted to run the evidence room. Perfect. That seems like a great fit. Yeah. So those two inmates aren't the only ones who allege direct police involvement in the case. There are multiple witnesses who gave statements to the task force about specific police officers being involved and also specific members of the sheriff's department being involved, but those leads weren't followed up on and were never made public. Basically, from what I've seen, they would use information from anyone as long as it didn't implicate officers. If it implicated officers, the testimony was disregarded, and in some cases, the witnesses were discredited for being involved in drugs or sex work. In 2009, there was a raid on Frankie Richard's home in relation to a drug ring that he was involved in with the mother of Brittany Gary, who was the seventh victim. So again, another connection to Frankie Richard. There were many things seized in the raid, but when it was all turned over to evidence, more than $4,000 was missing. Due to this tampering with the evidence, the investigation surrounding the drug ring essentially crumbled. The officer in charge of it was Paula Guillory, which I mentioned her before. I didn't mention her in name, but she was the officer who was in charge of being like the liaison between informants who swore up and down that, no, we didn't have any female informants. She was also in charge of this when the $4,000 just went missing. She claims she had nothing to do with the missing evidence, which, like, that seems a little fishy. Also, the person who was helping her catalog the evidence at the time that money went missing was our friend Warren Gary, who also got rid of the truck. Because, you know, he's in charge of the evidence room now. Yeah. Paula was also the center of an internal investigation for inappropriate disclosure of information in 2009 when she was a key member of the task force. So she is all up in this investigation, and she's getting in trouble for telling people shit she doesn't need to share, and yet she still has her job, she's still doing all the things. By the end of 2009, the community was super pissed at the way law enforcement was handling this, which, like, same. Yeah. I am having feelings about this, and I didn't have to live it, and it wasn't my friend who was murdered, my daughter, my sister, but holy shit, what the fuck, people. Anyways... Well, it is about botched investigations. It is. Yeah. So in an effort to silence the community, Sheriff Edwards ordered that every investigator working the case provide DNA samples to be compared to DNA gathered from some of the bodies to basically clear them of all doubt. The DNA was collected, but the results were never publicly released. And the guy who was sheriff, he's not sheriff anymore. He works for, like, a Louisiana state board of sheriffs or whatever but he's not the sheriff in this department anymore you know i learned by researching my case that sheriffs they are elected they are not appointed by any kind of city council right 
Just a dude. Or anything. Yeah, yeah. And they're in office for as long as they're reelected. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's a thing, and it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. Boy around here. Someone should boy. be in charge. If you're not performing well, someone should be able to remove you. Exactly. You would think. So people were wondering what could have set this all in motion. Now we have a situation. They're trying to spin it as a serial killer, but obviously you have the same people over and over fucking shit up and being involved in these things. But what started it? What was the reason why all of this began in the first place? Was it just someone had a bad day, they got pissed off, they killed somebody, and the rest of this is just a cascading effect? Or was it someone's in the wrong place, wrong time situation, whatever? They did some research, and what I found was on April 19th, 2005, so less than a month before the first body was found, there was a raid on a home that was reported for drug activity. In this raid, Officer Briggs Becton shot and killed a man named Leonard Crochet, who was completely unarmed at the time. Police were unable to locate any weapon anywhere in the vicinity of Crochet, and so they had a grand jury hearing against him for negligent homicide. In the end, it was listed as, quote, no true bill, which essentially means there was supposedly not enough evidence to charge the officer with this crime. Oh, you mean there's not enough checks to keep officers in line? Right. That's right. new. He claims that he saw this guy move his hand and he thought he was reaching for a weapon, so of he course. shot him. Of course. Mm-hmm. Their life is always on the line. Of course. Because they're not wearing bulletproof vests or anything. Anyways... <laughs> the women who are the Jeff Davis 8 and people who are related to the Jeff Davis 8 were all there that night. Alvin Lewis, he was the boyfriend of Whitney and actually the brother-in-law of the first victim, Loretta Lynn Lewis, was there that night. According to Leonard Crochet's sister, all of the women who had been killed had been in and out of that house within a day or two of the raid. So they were all connected. Some of them were even there listed as witnesses on the official report of what happened that night. Hmm. Interestingly enough, Frankie Richard was also at the house that night. What? But he wasn't in trouble for anything because he doesn't get in trouble for things. Mm -mm. People were wondering, like, why isn't he being looked at more closely? Obviously, like, he's a name that has consistently popped up from the beginning to the end. He's always around. The shady-ass shit is happening. Women are dying. And he's always there. But nobody's paying any attention to him. Well, like I said before, he knew in order to survive in that town, you had to make the right friends. And obviously people have helped him out as we know about the whole truck situation, but why are they friends with him? What's that bond? Is he supplying them with drugs? Whatever. Even if he is, how do the police then justify their relationship with him? Well, as it turns out, good old Frankie Richard was apparently internally known as one of the best informants that the police had. So even though he was a known drug kingpin in that town and had a ring of sex workers, the police never pursued him for any of those things, supposedly because he, you know, just gave them such great info on everyone else. Bet he does. I bet he fucking does. Mm -hmm. Maybe you could even think he might be responsible for some of it. Yeah. Today the murders are still unsolved. The supposed lead theory still is an unknown serial killer. Mm Okay. Yeah. And Frankie Richard, still out in the world, living his best life. Okay. He is supposedly no longer a police informant. And in he's still one of, selling drugs? I was going to say, in one of the articles, he talks about how he's, like, trying to be clean and stuff. 
and is, like, working on his sobriety, which, like, cool, good for you. You could also do that in prison where you For sure part of your sobriety is, like, you know, Taking responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ethan Brown wrote a book about this whole case. It's titled Murder in the Bayou, Who Killed the Jeff Davis Eight. If you're interested in finding out more about it, I wanted to read it, but because of certain personal issues this week, I just didn't have the time. Overall, like, I don't think you can really argue that there's so much fucked up shit. It'll probably stay unsolved. Right, which is, un- like, terrible. Yeah. Because I feel like all of the pieces are there. But now it's too late. It's It's... It's no longer recent. And yeah. So, yeah, there's that problem. Also, I think, like, number one, the climate of the town, but also, like, they were all known sex workers. No one cares about them. I was going to say, it goes back to that they're less dead yeah. theory because they're sex workers, which is super not true. And if you're involved with sex work, like, good for you. You do what you need to do. There's nothing wrong with it or shameful. But, like, if you have a situation where somebody's forcing you to do it. It's a dangerous like, field of work, definitely. Right. Yeah. And so I feel like it should be taken more seriously because... For sure. Especially in situations like that. They're vulnerable and exposed to all kinds of... Yeah. Individuals. And thought of as less than human. Yeah. yeah. Because of what they do in order to survive or if that's what makes you happy, then also cool. Right. But like in this case, a lot of people talked about how like these women were in this line of work because that's what they needed to do to survive in this town. Mm-hmm. Like it was a struggle. That's sad. Right. And it's it's fucking terrible. And it's fucking terrible that there's, like, so much corruption that, like, you can just completely fuck up an entire investigation and nobody even bats an eye and you have people covering your ass for you. I don't know how you get there. That's for sure. Definitely doesn't get there overnight. That's for sure. No. So that's my uh, botched investigation because, boy, it's, it's all fucked up. Yeah. I'm going to be talking about the abduction and murder of Jacob Wetterling. Have you ever heard of that name? Yes. Yeah. So, in September 2018, the temporary Stearns County Sheriff provided a 90-minute public accounting of how and why law enforcement botched the investigation and ultimately failed to catch Jacob Wetterling's killer for 27 years. He is quoted saying, I will accept the responsibility speaking for all of law enforcement in this case. All of us failed. Okay. Pretty strong feelings. Well, you know, at least they're taking responsibility for it. He's it. He's it. Cool. No one else does. Cool. Just spoiler alert. Love it. Yeah. It was a warm Sunday evening on October 22nd, 1989 in St. Joseph, Minnesota. Just after 9 p.m., 11-year-old Jacob Wetterling was biking home with his younger brother Trevor and friend Aaron Larson. The trio had bought some snacks and rented a video from a convenience store to watch that evening since there was no school the following Monday. Earlier, a man had spotted the three boys on their bikes with a flashlight, and he decided to pull into a gravel driveway and wait for them to return from the dead-end road that they were heading down. As the boys rode their bikes, they were caught off guard by the same man stepping out from the gravel driveway, ordering the boys to get into the ditch with their bikes. He asked for their ages, and when Trevor said he was 10, he was told to run away and not look back or else he would be shot. Trevor, with a heavy heart full of guilt, left his big brother behind. The masked man grabbed Jacob Wetterling and told Aaron Larson to run away, threatening him the same as he had done with Jacob's little brother. Aaron, much like Trevor, felt the same shame build inside him the moment he sprinted away from the scene where he would last see Jacob. Aaron looked back after running down the road, but Jacob was gone, and so was the masked man. Aaron would be haunted from that evening on, believing himself to be a coward for leaving his best friend behind. I know this case, and it bumps me out, dude. It's sad. It is sad. 
I will say that a kid being abducted, though, by a stranger is super rare crime. Yeah. It's like one of the rarest. That's good. I like that. Yeah, yeah, it is. I like that it's rare. I would like it to be non-existent. Well, I mean, ideally, yes. In a perfect world. Mm -hmm. A child who has been abducted has a window of critical time where they can be found alive. That window is only five hours. If a child is to be murdered by an abductor, it usually occurs within those five hours. From the moment Jacob was taken, that clock began ticking. Around 9.30 that evening, the sheriff's department was contacted by a neighbor of the Wetterlings. A search ensued at 10 p.m. but was called off at 3 a.m. because it was too dark. It resumed at 8 a.m. the following morning, but critical time had already passed, and we would later have learned that by this time, Jacob was already dead. The search was one of the largest searches for any missing person in the history of the United States, but investigators didn't cover their basics. This may be why this investigation failed and why Jacob Wetterling wasn't found for 27 years. A small search beginning within the circle of the crime should have occurred first. This means police should have asked neighbors along that dead-end road what they'd seen that night while the memories were still fresh. Authorities say they're sure someone asked, but many of the neighbors on that road can't recall officers speaking with them until a week later. However, there was another child who came in contact with Jacob's abductor nearly nine months prior to Jacob's own abduction. On January 13, 1989, 12-year-old Jared Sherrill was approached by an adult male asking for questions. Jared offered them before being kidnapped, which, real fast, adults don't ask kids for directions. Right. (laughs) Adults don't need your help, kids. No. Having said that, though, he offered them, and then he was kidnapped, sexually assaulted, and physically threatened by this unknown male before being let go. When Jared's statement was compared to Jacob's abduction later on, it was shown to have a similar MO. It's important for this detail to be known because, like I said, it's extremely rare for a child to be abducted by a stranger. So when it happens in the same county twice in one year, somebody should have paid attention, yet nobody did. There were also a string of assaults on young boys that had occurred in the previous summer in Painesville, Minnesota. The assaults took place during the evening hours as the boys were biking along roads. A man asked for the victims' ages and told them if they turned around, he'd blow their heads off. Jesus. These attacks were never solved, and the Painesville PD just kept warning parents and children to be aware of strangers. That's helpful. Well, you know. A young man who was a victim of the Painesville assaults spoke with Stearns County Sheriff's officers claiming that Jacob's abduction was related to the Painesville assaults. Police didn't take him seriously, it would appear, as they never looked further into the assault's connection to Jacob's abduction. Instead, investigators were preoccupied tracking down leads around the country. They believed all leads should be followed, even the leads of psychics, but not the lead of a teenage boy who had been assaulted. That lead would not be pursued until nearly three months later in January 1990, and it leads them straight to Danny Heinrich. Danny Heinrich is a name that popped up more than once in the early search of Jacob Waterling. He had been brought in for questioning in 1990 for the assault of Jared, which took place in Cold Spring, Minnesota. Jared wasn't allowed to hear the voices of the men in the lineup, so he couldn't compare them to his abductors. Neither Trevor nor Aaron, who were with Jacob when he was abducted, was asked to view the lineup, and none of the seven victims of the Painesville assaults were asked either. Oh, that's thorough. The interrogation of Heinrich would later be described as a comedy of errors, as Heinrich was drunk. After he denied his involvement and asked for a lawyer, Heinrich was released. FBI profilers who observed the interrogation didn't believe Heinrich to be guilty either. There are claims that they didn't know about the Painesville assaults and say that it could have been used to possibly hold his leverage on Heinrich to confess, 
So they say that, but there's a conference video with them mm-hmm. there, as well as Stearns County Sheriff Department and people from Painesville mm-hmm. talking about these assaults. Okay. So it's definitely publicly known. Mm-hmm. Around the same time, Stearns County Sheriff's office and the FBI examine his tires and shoes, hoping to find a match, match to the tracks and prints found at the abduction site. They took a sample of his hair and searched his father's home. They combed his car for any incriminating fibers and even surveilled him. The search of Heinrich's father's home led officers to find photographs of young boys. Police didn't collect them as evidence, and Heinrich later claims he burned them. Oh, cool. Love that. The surveillance on Heinrich lasted for only three days, and on the first night, he led officers on a series of twists and turns on roads outside of Painesville before managing to shake the investigators. This should have caused law enforcement to suspect him more, but they actually suspected him less and appeared to call off the investigation of Heinrich's involvement in Jacob's abduction altogether. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's at this moment when investigators truly missed their last best chance to connect the assaults and abductions to their most likely suspect, Danny Heinrich. In March 1990, FBI Task Force Commander Al Garber, along with the Minnesota Department of Corrections investigator, interviewed Dwayne Hart... Hart had been an early suspect involved in several of the assault cases. Hart told investigators that he had visited Heinrich's apartment the month of Jacob Wetterling's kidnapping. Hart's interview provided crucial information about Heinrich. He even explains that Heinrich asked him how to dispose of a body, yet nothing comes of this interview. Al Garber doesn't seem to pass on this information, and the file indicates that none of the information from Hart was ever investigated. Then why are you fucking questioning him? That seems... Okay. (laughs) Following Dwayne Hart's interview, Heinrich's name disappears from the Waterling investigation file for more than 20 years as investigators focus on a new suspect, Dan Rassier. In 2003, a man named Kevin explained he'd driven through the crime scene the night of Jacob's abduction, which led law enforcement to consider that the abductor may have been on foot and not in a car like originally thought. This meant the abductor must have lived nearby, which is how Dan Rassier, a witness, had become a person of interest in Jacob's abduction. In 2010, while still suspecting Rassier, police showed up at his family farm with backhoes and hauled away dirt and ash. The search came up empty, but Rassier's life was entirely upended by law enforcement suspicion. Rassier believes his treatment by law enforcement a blatant, horrific miscarriage of justice. It wouldn't be until Jacob's actual killer was charged that Rassier was no longer viewed as a suspect. Jeez. So for those decades. Right. He was kind of always looking over his shoulder. Yeah. And it really did ruin his life. I bet it did. Mm Mm-hmm. In May 2014, investigators confirmed that they were taking another look at a series of attempted and actual child molestations that had occurred in the Painesville area in two years before Jacob Waterling was abducted and murdered. Perhaps this should have happened in 1989, but it didn't, so I'll be thankful that they did since it finally brought Jacob home and offered many victims the closure that they deserved to have two decades earlier. Henrik's DNA that was taken back in 1989 during his initial questioning was matched to the DNA found on a sweatshirt worn by Jared during the assault. The statute of limitation had expired on the Cold Springs kidnapping and assault, which meant Henrik would not be arrested and charged for the crime. Which is insane. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I know. I, it's disgusting and gut-wrenching that Jared's attacker couldn't be put away for what he had done to him. And I do think we need to do better by sexual assault for sure. I, Having a statute of, of limitations on that. Too many people don't come forward in time. I was going to say, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't protect victims either. It does nothing. No. Except piss me off. Yeah. I actually don't even know why it is. I don't, I don't understand. 
However, this DNA match granted a search warrant, which led to the discovery of child pornography in Henrik's home. Danny Heinrich was arrested on October 28, 2015. So, awesome. Woo. Not going to love this part, though, if you don't know it. Cool. (laughs) A plea bargain between Heinrich and authorities stated that if Heinrich pled guilty to one count of child pornography and received a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison, he would publicly confess to Jared Sherrill's abduction and assault, as well as the abduction, assault, and murder of Jacob Wetterling. However, this agreement also said that Heinrich could not be prosecuted for the assaults or murder. Oh, nope. Nope. I knew where you were going with that sentence, and I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, I do know that Jacob Wetterling's parents were consulted before, and they agreed to this because... They just wanted closure. Yes. Yeah. They were hoping to find their son, finally, after 27 years. So, Stearns County had no evidence, even after all this time, to connect Heinrich to the murder of Jacob Wetterling. So, the only way they could bring Jacob home was to strike a deal with Heinrich himself. The yes. only reason they didn't have the, the stuff is because they didn't investigate him. But anyways. Yeah. yeah. Well, they did in but, 1990. But like not. They. Mm. Yeah. Oh. Someone messed up there. One of the more devastating things I learned about this case was that had Heinrich been prosecuted in 1989 under those sentencing guidelines, Heinrich would have only served 17 years in prison. That's insane. That's so it. he confessed? Yes. Oh, you're telling me. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you. Okay. <laughs> this is this is this is a solved thing now. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Heinrich led investigators to Jacob Wetterling's burial site. Sometime into the excavation of this site, a part of the red St. Cloud hockey jacket that Jacob had been wearing the night he went missing was spotted. Yeah. Investigators found bones and teeth that were matched to Jacob's dental records, and Jacob had been found at last. On September sixth. I think, of 2016, Mm -hmm. Um, Heinrich confessed publicly in court to the details surrounding the January 1989 assault of Jared Sherrill and the October 1989 abduction and murder of Jacob Wetterling. Heinrich went into detail how he kidnapped Jacob, drove him to a gravel pit near Painesville, where Heinrich molested, killed, then buried the young boy. Danny Heinrich was sentenced to 20 years in prison on a federal child pornography charge on November 21st, 2016. The judge was quoted saying, We won't pretend today that this crime and sentence is about child pornography, although it technically is. It is not. It's about taking a childhood away from Jared Sherrill and taking a lifetime away from Jacob Wetterling. After Heinrich's confession, officials quickly declared the matter to be closed. They didn't want to know what went wrong in the investigation or what Heinrich had been up to for the last three decades. Another part of the plea deal was that police agreed not to ask him about other crimes. That's stupid. But okay. Yeah. Stearns County Sheriff's investigators nearly had Heinrich in 1989 for the abduction and murder of Jacob Wetterling, but they let him go. This wasn't the first time that had happened in the Stearns County, though. There are multiple unsolved murders and crimes that have occurred in Stearns County, and investigators are no closer to solving them than the first day they stepped on the scene. In two solved cases, officers did question and release the man who years later either was convicted or who admitted to the crime. Jacob Wetterling, an 11-year-old boy who enjoyed playing hockey, basketball, soccer, and football, 
He loved to go fishing and tell jokes. He was happy in school and had been learning to play the trombone. He loved dogs and wanted to be a vet when he grew up. Aww. Jacob Wetterling had a full life ahead of him with endless possibilities. However, all of that was taken away from Jacob that evening that Danny Heinrich stepped out from the gravel driveway in rural St. Joseph, Minnesota and took Jacob from this life. Jacob never had the chance to experience learning to drive, dating, attending prom, graduating from high school, or getting into his dream college. He'd never try out for sports teams or participate in science fairs. From that warm evening in October on, Jacob would be frozen in time as the 11-year-old boy who went missing. A more in-depth look at Jacob's abduction, Jared's assault, the Painesville assault, and the Stearns County Sheriff Department negligence can all be heard in another podcast called In the Dark which I've been listened to the whole first season, so I'm well-versed in this case now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's really good. Though many of the lead investigators and multiple sheriffs who took over in the decades following Jacob's abduction claim they would have done nothing different, Jacob Wetterling's investigation was badly botched, and although nothing we can do can ever change what happened, law enforcement can learn from it and ensure it never happens again. That's... Mm, I think it's interesting... That in these cases, and I think it's neat that we both pick cases where it's like, hey, guess what? It's not just this one case. No. It's a whole thing. And yeah. I like probably all of them are like, if you fuck this one up, you're probably fucking other shit up. And like, how many lives are you absolutely demolishing because you can't Too do many. your job right? Too because many. you won't do your job right. Yeah, and these sheriffs who have retired and moved on are still like recorded saying we wouldn't do anything differently. And I just explained how this was botched. So don't tell me you don't see how you could have done things. Right. Maybe, I don't know, don't stop searching. Right. Ask people questions. When you have people who are good for a crime, maybe don't just let them go. Maybe when you're looking at a lineup, maybe don't just let one person look at them and say, sorry, everybody else who could potentially be a witness who could help in this crime. Maybe if you have somebody who's fucking a drug kingpin running your goddamn town, you don't say, oh, he gives us great information. Let's just let him live his life. No. Maybe you're like, you know what? Let's hold these people accountable for the shit they're fucking up. Maybe it's like, we haven't done this child justice. Maybe we need to fucking look at this again. Yeah. Maybe we need to open the doors to something else. And maybe you thought it was unconventional to let everybody see the lineup, but maybe you need to fucking do that in order to find this child's murderer. Well, that's actually the fun thing. So on the podcast In the Dark, it was actually, I believe, back in 2016 or 2017 Mm -hmm. when they were recording and posting live because a lot, almost all of the documents that covered the search of... Heinrich's father's house or the search on Dan Rassier's farm, witness statements, all of those things were sealed off from the public that has since then been released because that, it has to happen. You right. have to release information to the public when right. a case is closed and solved. Exactly. That's annoying as fuck. And there are a lot of things that right. you can take problem with in those documents and they're accessible online. So yeah. I definitely went looking. I yeah. was not pleased by this. Well, those tapes that have, like, the uh, inmates. Mm-hmm. So those technically aren't public record. Yeah. So you have to, like, jump through a lot of hoops. Like, you can find places to listen to, like, clips from them. Mm-hmm. But, like, I got a lot of my information from that article that I referenced by the same gentleman who wrote the book whose name I'm blanking on right now. That's okay. Um, 
And basically, he's like, yeah, I listened to the whole thing, and holy shit, dude. Yeah. Like, how can you not listen to this? And basically, they were like, oh, you got this information, you fired this guy who's implicated, you're just gonna get this promotion real quick. Yeah. To put you in charge of this already problematic area, because they were already having issues with things being stolen from evidence for years. So, it's just insane to me. This is why the good old boys club is a problem. <laughs> Yeah. That's what's wrong with this case in Louisiana, because I guarantee you, if you got some new people in there, things would be turning out differently. So in, in my case, officers had the choice of staying local mm-hmm. or going big and asking anyone with tips to call in. Yeah. It got so overwhelming that they when they went that route that they were following every lead because no lead should be ignored. Except for that Except one. Except for that one. <laughs> right, that one that, that actually was, seems super legitly connected. And Painesville is 30 miles from St. Yeah. Joseph. Cool. On their search, that ground search they did, they didn't They didn't go out there. Mm-hmm. And they searched outside of St. Joseph. and, and branched not off over in, there. And branched off into like Cold Springs where Jared was assaulted. Mm-hmm. They just didn't get up Painesville, which is where Jacob, Jacob was. Jacob was yeah. the whole time. Mm-hmm. That's This whole time, 27 years. Basically, figure out do how better. to do an investigation before you're fucking in charge of one. Ask for feedback. Ask for help. Ask for government assistance. I do feel like that's a big problem in a lot of these botched cases. It's departments, police departments or whatever, want to be almost greedy with information yeah. and don't share and don't branch out and ask, hey, right. do you have cases similar to this? Right. Or suspects in these cases. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that, like, there was a task force for, like, these women mm-hmm. that the FBI was involved in, but they let local officials basically helm it, and they were just kind of there for support. Yeah. And I'm like, maybe you should have been in charge of that FBI. Probably. Instead of letting these dudes who already fucked up at solving this case, which was the reason why you had to get involved, so why still let them continue to fuck it up? So, yeah, so now I'm really pissed off, <laughs> honestly. Well, get excited, because next week we're covering family annihilators. I already have mine picked out. I have mine picked out and written. I moved on to my next Oh, topic. my God. I haven't written mine. I'm going to be super honest. I just finished mine this morning for tonight. Not for tonight. I mean, I always edit the morning yeah. of that we're going to record, but I move on pretty quick. No, like, I started mine this weekend, and as you know, like, I picked one, and then I moved on and was like, this too much. Let me do this one instead, which was still a fucking lot. Yeah, I was just like, I didn't. Because of, like, just personal life things, like I said, some annoyances in my life, I didn't have as much time to work on things as I would have liked to. But we got it done. I thought she was good. Thanks. I spent, like, six hours on it this morning. Oh, wow. Like, I woke up this morning and I worked on it until one o'clock. I, I listened to a whole podcast. I don't know how long that was. It's that was like some nine time. episodes. So you should, if you haven't listened to it, you should listen to it. It's really good. I'll look it up. They get like audio clippings of people they interviewed. Oh shit. People like Jacob's parents. Aww. Um, old news audio, uh, different coverings of his abduction, all this kind of stuff. I'm just like, how did it take 27 years and he's 30 miles from you the entire time? Uh, that's, that's my same fucking thing with like all these people who work in the police officer office and then Frankie Richard. I'm like... It seems pretty obvious. There's like, a common denominator here, guys. All, all leads 
should lead back there. there All good ones. I, there's just some names that just kept popping up, and I'm like, names don't just randomly, continuously pop up in an investigation for no reason. Does your... Do, wait, so you did pick a family annihilator case. Does yours frustrate you? So mine, I have a personal connection to. Oh. And so... That's... I don't know if that's exciting. It, like... Like, I just feel bad, because, like, I... Is it local? No. Oh, okay. Like, I... I knew one of the victims, and we weren't, like, BFFs by any means, but, like, I had met one of the victims a couple different times, actually. So. See? See? Seven degrees. Uh-huh. Murder separation. Here we go. Here we are. I have nothing for you. I apologize. I'm sorry. Um, Mine okay. is interesting. I've never heard of it before. And Alex like found, it, found it very interesting, too, and I told him. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Well, that'll be next week. For this week, you guys can find us, of course, on our socials, on Instagram at Luminol Cocktail Pod, on Facebook, Luminol Cocktail Podcast. Of course, please, as we said before, rate, review, subscribe where you can. Because Tiffany might cry. I might cry, <laughs> honestly. It just made me so sad. But also because, like, I was reading about, like, you know, introducing, like, how to introduce more people to our podcast because, like, if this is something that I think people would find interesting, like, obviously I do. That's why we make this. Like, we think other people will get some enjoyment from it. And, like, that's one of the ways that, like, your podcast gets put in front of other people is, like, by its ratings. Like, if people are sorting by ratings yeah. or whatever. You know, like, the higher rating you are, the more likely you're, you are to come up in those search results. So if you guys wanted to do us a solid, that'd be super legit. And, Lindsay, our website our website is luminolcocktail.com and that now has a place for you to give feedback. It has a chat button if you want to chat with us. Yes. Um, we have, I don't know, we have a bio page about me and Tiffany and how Luminol Cocktail got started. Our origin story, uh, if you will. Yes. Uh, the blog post for this will be up at noon. Like I said earlier, every Friday, that's when the blog posts go up. There will be two separate ones, one for my case and one for Tiffany's case. Let us know what you think. Are we forgetting anything? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I want to figure out if there's a way. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Shit, I forgot about that. Also, on the website, there is now a place where you can join our mailing list, which will send you updates for new episodes, new blog posts, any news in general, really, for changing something. Uh, you will be the first person to know. Woo! Or people. Depends on how many I mean, are I in guess there. it depends on how many of you decide to sign up for this mailing list. But I don't it know. is it's there. Surprised. We also have new music. We do have new music that I was surprised with. <laughs> Alex. I do apologize. Am I forgetting anything else on the website? I think cover everything? I think we covered all our bases. So we will see you guys next time for another round of Luminol Cocktails. Mm-hmm.